have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom. Welcome to the Pastor Study. This half hour show today is all going to be about how the Bible defines hope. In English, hope is a maybe word. I hope I'll pass my test. But in New Testament Greek, the word hope is a sure thing. When we talk about Jesus being our hope, that's a for sure thing. There's a saying, life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. Years ago, there was a missionary by the name of Henry Howard. He was giving a funeral in a large South American graveyard. On one side, he was doing a Christian funeral. On the other side of the graveyard was a pagan funeral. The Christian funeral was quiet. People sang hymns. They prayed as they mourned. On the other side, the mothers were throwing themselves on the coffin, screaming and yelling. And Henry Howard said, it occurred to me at that moment how urgent the Christian gospel is. Life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. So today, let's turn in our Bibles. Would you grab your Bible? Turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and learn all that we can about hope. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we want to pray for anyone watching this show who is out of hope. They have no hope. Lord, may they come to see Jesus and that he is our only hope, but he's our sure hope. Lord, speak to us, we pray, and give us hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul the Apostle is writing a letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 18. Paul writes, For I, the Apostle Paul, consider that the sufferings of this present time, and he had a lot of them, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Here's the first lesson for today. When you're suffering, remember that the glory is coming. Paul says almost the exact same thing in a different letter, 2 Corinthians 4. He says, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's an old proverb, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. <laughs> That's what Christian hope is. When you've, maybe right now you're suffering in your marriage or you're suffering physically or financially. Christian hope is this. You tie a knot at the end of your rope and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to trust you to get me through these trials. I remember years ago, an old, about 90-year-old woman quoted this verse, Romans 8, 18, to me. Her name was Ella. She was about 90 years old. For most of her life, I think, she'd been a missionary in Madagascar. And I would visit her in the nursing home, and I remember one day she was crippled up in pain in her wheelchair, and she said to me, I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be mine in Christ Jesus. That's what Christian hope is. You, you just hang on and you trust, in spite of all my present suffering, glory is coming. Let's look at verse 19. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's the next lesson. Even nature is waiting for the second coming of Christ. This is kind of a strange teaching. It doesn't appear a lot in the Bible, but here's the teaching. That when Adam and Eve fell into sin, all nature fell with them, and nature itself has become corrupted by the sin of mankind. And nature, too, is waiting to be redeemed when one day, finally, the lion will lie down with the lamb. And look at verse 19 again. The phrase there, it says, eager longing. In Greek, that means literally to watch with the head outstretched, like, like at a racetrack where people are going, ah, waiting to see. It's kind of like all of nature now is going like this, just waiting for Christ to come back and not just redeem humans, redeem the creation, which has become corrupted too. And also in verse 19, look at the words, the creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. So here's the next lesson. We are already sons, but it's veiled. It needs to be re revealed to creation someday who are the Christians and who aren't. And uh, so, so here's the point. We're already saved, but not yet. We're already sons, but not yet. We're already redeemed and going to heaven, but not yet. Christian, we live in what's called the already, not yet era. <laughs> and C.E.B. Cranfield, a New Testament scholar, said this. Believers are already sons of God in this life, but their sonship is veiled, except to faith. Even believers themselves have to fight to believe in their sonship against the evidence of much in their life that seems altogether inconsistent with the reality of that fact. So we're already saved, but not quite. Not till Christ comes back. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him that be God, who subjected it in hope. Now, what does that mean? Well, do you remember in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, it says God cursed the ground because of Adam. And again, what I think verse 20 means is when Adam and Eve fell, all creation fell with it, which is why you have lions tearing apart zebras. And not just Adam and Eve died after they sinned, all of creation dies. Verse 21 that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Again, even nature has been corrupted and is waiting for the redemption that Christ will bring at the end of time. I mean, I, somebody made what I think was kind of a stupid argument in favor of homosexuality, and here's their argument. Well, you find gay giraffes, and because some, sometimes you find even gay orangutans, and therefore, because you find it in nature, it must be okay for humans to practice that. Well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> the black widow spider, after she mates with her husband, kills him. Does that mean, wife, you can go kill your husband after you mate with your husband? Of course not. My point is, even nature has been corrupted. 
and even nature will be set free from its corruption at the end of time. Now, before we look at the next verse, I want you, before I read it, to listen carefully and answer this question. What do nature and Christians have in common? Listen to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pain of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we also ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now, did you catch that? What do Christians and nature have in common? Here's the answer. We both groan. So here's the next lesson. Groaning is part of the Christian life. You don't always have to have a plastic smile on your face and I'm just so happy in Jesus. Jesus wept. Groaning is part of the Christian life. And the second thing nature and Christians have in common, look back at verse 19. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing. And then now look down at verse 23 where it says, we wait for adoption. So the second thing we have in common, both nature and Christians are eagerly waiting. So here's the next lesson. The Christian life is eager waiting. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you what I thought of. When I was a little boy, I was pretty materialistic. And when that Sears toy catalog would arrive in our mailbox about, I don't know, October, I would get that thing and just look page after page. I'd circle the toys I wanted, and mom and dad, I want this, and I want that. And for me, Christian Christmas was eager waiting for all the wrong reasons, but it was eager waiting. You know, you know what our adult Christian life is to be? We are to eagerly await either our death when we'll see Jesus or the literal second coming of Christ if we're alive to see it. Our life as adults should be eagerly awaiting Jesus Christ. There's a story during World War II. A little boy went, uh, his dad went on, on a ship to, to uh, serve as a sailor in World War II. And mother hung a picture of father on the wall. And every night the little boy would look at his daddy and say, Mommy, I wish daddy could come out of that picture. And finally, one day, dad did return safe from the war. And that's kind of the picture of Christian life. We are waiting for our Savior to come out of his picture and to come back. The Christian life is eager waiting for the return of Christ. That'll either happen at your death or it'll happen literally at the second coming. Now, before we leave verse 23, though, the Christian life is eager waiting, all right? Eager waiting for what? Well, look at verse 23. We wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So what we're waiting for is our new bodies. And Paul says, again, almost the exact same thing in 2 Corinthians 5. Here on earth, indeed, we groan and long to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's talking about our new body. I think perhaps... The question I get most asked as a pastor is this one. Where's my grandma right now? Is she in heaven now? Or she, is, is she in the grave waiting for Judgment Day to be raised from the dead? So is she alive in heaven right now or is she sleeping till Judgment Day? And the Bible kind of teaches both. Uh, here's the way I put it together. I think your spirit goes right to heaven when you die if you're a Christian. But you don't get your new body until Judgment Day. So this, the Christians are in heaven right now, consciously with the Lord, but they're waiting like the rest of us for the second coming of Christ when they'll be raised imperishable. And I'll show you, 
I got this at a garage sale. I like this picture, but it's a little inaccurate, but I still like it. Here is Grandma dying. Here's the angel coming to get her at her death, and he's pulling Grandma up out of the bed in her perfect new resurrection body. Well, I mean, her spirit's up in heaven, but she's not going to get the perfect new body until Judgment Day when we are raised imperishable, says Paul. All right, um, let's uh, look at verse 24. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. That is the biblical definition of hope. Did you catch it? Here it is. Hope is waiting eagerly for the unseen. Let me repeat that. Christian hope is waiting eagerly for the unseen. Horatius Bonar was a Scottish preacher in the 1800s. The reason he's famous is because he wrote the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. He preached for 60 years, but it is said that before he would go to bed each night, he would say the words, Perhaps tonight, Lord? And when he'd wake up in the morning, he'd say, Perhaps today, Lord? And here's a, here's a poem about hope being waiting eagerly for the unseen. Perhaps today our Lord will come and bring us to his great kingdom. Before the evening shadows fall, may sound the longed-for trumpet call. Then out of sorrow, tears, and strife, we'll rise to realms of joy and life. Perhaps today will be the last, and time shall be forever past. Our light affliction will be o'er, then glory, glory evermore. Hope is eagerly waiting for what we can't see. And if you were a slave in the early 1800s in America, you sang songs like this, Deep river, my home is over Jordan. Deep river, I want to cross over into campground. Another one they sang was, I'm going to sit at the welcome table. I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days, hallelujah. I'm going to sit at the welcome table, going to sit at the welcome table one of these days. And the slaves had horrible, afflicted lives, but they sang eagerly of the coming glory. That's what Christian hope is. Let's, so, so far what we've learned is creation is groaning for the second coming. We are groaning for the second coming. But look who also is groaning now in verse 26. In the same way the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Did you catch that? Next lesson is that the Holy Spirit groans. In other words, we don't groan alone. I visited a, a dear Christian woman who was dying in the hospital. She was unconscious, and her body was just kind of racked. As she laid there breathing unconsciously, she was just groaning, groaning, groaning. Listen, Christian, when you're going through a rough time, be it physical, spiritual, emotional, when you're just in the roughest pit, you don't groan alone. It says the Holy Spirit up in heaven is praying for you and he's groaning for you to God the Father. Last lesson is verse 27. And he 
who searches the heart, that's God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints, Christians, according to the will of God. Here's the last lesson. Know that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. There are days when I don't know how to pray about an issue. And so I'll just say, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, would you intercede with the Father? Would you pray to God the Father about this one? You know, uh, what we've learned today is that Christian hope is not a maybe thing, it's a sure thing. And that your hope is that Jesus is praying for you, the Holy Spirit is praying for you, God the Father, for Christ's sake, loves you. And if you're watching this program and you don't have hope, maybe you've never accepted Christ. And you need to just spend some time alone to, with God tonight. Talk to God about your sins. Tell him you're sorry. And then say, Lord Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. I trust that what you did on the cross when you paid for my sins and that what you did by rising from the dead, I trust that because of you now, I can have a new hope in life. If you've never prayed that, I just encourage you, spend time alone talking to God confessing your sins, and then put your trust in Jesus to be your sure hope. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you were talking about the Garden of Eden and nature and mm -hmm. everything, and that part of it. Where exactly was the Garden of Eden? Do scholars really know? You know, I don't think anybody knows. It's, I think if I remember Genesis right, it's near the Tigris-Euphrates rivers, so I think it tells you that much. But as far as, the, as far as the exact site of Garden of Eden, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah. Was the Garden of Eden destroyed during the flood, or how widespread was well, the flood? Yes, the question is, when God flooded the world during Noah's day, was that a partial flood of just Palestine, or was that worldwide? Now, the way I read it, it sure sounds worldwide, but you know there, there are questions on that, and I don't think you're a heretic if you believe differently. But I would think, yeah, everything got flooded, including the Garden of Eden. Okay, now you said about nature is waiting too. Yes. Is that why we're seeing all of the things happening that are right. like the tsunamis yes. and the I mean, large a, earthquakes? I didn't even think of that, Jackie. Not only do you have giraffes getting ripped apart by lions and, and black widow spiders killing their husbands when they mate. I mean, I, you see things in nature that are corrupt. And I think you could make an argument. Tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis that are destructive is part of the fallen, corrupt nature that happened when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world. It's kind of strange because it just seems like we've had more we of these things have. every yeah year. Indeed we have. So if it is a sign of maybe things to come. Yes. Okay, Pastor Brock, is hell eternal? You know, there's, uh, there are some people uh, in the church called universalists, and they believe uh, everybody goes to heaven, whether you believe in Jesus or not. That's an old heresy, but it's, it's alive and well in the church. Again, sadly, an evangelical teacher by the name, he says he's evangelical, his name is Rob Bell, has put out a video in a book where he questions hell being eternal because a loving God wouldn't do that is his point. Well, how does he know a loving God wouldn't do that? Jesus talks about hell being eternal punishment. And it's not a place where you go and you get wiped out after five minutes or after five years. Jesus talks about eternal punishment. So just, you know, even... 
you normally hear liberals say that there's no hell, and liberals say that everybody's going to heaven in the church, but now you've got some people who say they're Bible-believing evangelicals who are trying to teach that, well, God would never do that. Again, our authority is not Rob Bell or liberal theologians or me. Our authority is the scripture. I think if you count the verses, Jackie, Jesus talks more about judgment and hell than he does about heaven. All right, so what, Jesus was wrong and Rob Bell is right? See, so uh, just be careful who you listen to. <laughs> well, but I mean, doesn't that raise the question for some people when you talk about the final judgment and the world ending? Does hell have to continue then? Because the Christians and the believers will be in eternal heaven. Bliss, bliss, uh-huh. So, but the people who have already gone to hell will continue to remain in hell? Yes. Yes, I mean, it talks about not only will Christians be raised to salvation on the last day, unbelievers, it says in Daniel, this is Old Testament, it's reaffirmed in the New Testament, people will be raised to eternal life or to eternal, um, what's the word, contempt in, in the book of Daniel. So both will be raised, everyone will be raised on the last day, not just Christians. But they won't come out of hell to be judged, um, will You they? know, maybe, I mean, it's kind of like, when Jesus comes, here's the way I put it together, and only the Lord knows exactly how everything pans out. When Jesus comes down, it talks about the saints coming with him, and that's when I think they're reunited with their perfect new body. What will happen to the uh, unbelievers in hell? Maybe there's a way in which they're raised and reunited with their eternal destiny at that point. They've been waiting, maybe in hell, and then they're, it's still, they still go through Judgment Day. Everybody goes through Judgment Day. So will we be seeing the judgment of the people that are in hell? I don't know the answer to that. Well, each of us, will, it, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, each of us, and he's talking to Christians in this verse, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So you, Jackie, and I personally will be there for our own judgment day. Whether we'll see everybody else's is, a, is another question. It would be, it's a strange question, but you wonder, will you recognize other people that yeah. are being judged? Well, Jesus does say one day everything you've done in secret will be shouted from the housetops. So there hmm. you go. Well, let's go to a question about church. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> a friend says he's a Christian, but he never goes to church because he feels there's so many hypocrites in the church. How should a person respond to that comment? If he says he's a Christian and he doesn't go to church because he's so holy and everybody else is such a hypocrite, my response to them would be, well, if you're going to be holy then, shouldn't you obey what the Bible teaches? Which is, uh, what is it from? Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Hebrews 10.25 says if you're a Christian, you go to church. You're part of the body of Christ. You worship regularly. And if he thinks that he's so holy and all these sinners, are, Christians are such sinful, well, he's sinning by violating Hebrews 10.25. And I, you've heard this story, Jackie, but Pastor Roger Carlson was the senior pastor at Hope Church for many years. And he went to visit kind of a crotchety guy whose wife came to church every Sunday, but he didn't. And, and Roger invited this guy and he says, now, Roy, don't you want to come to church? Oh, Pastor Carlson, there's so many hypocrites at Hope Lutheran Church. And Pastor Carlson said, room for one more. <laughs> and here's the deal. Is the church full of hypocrites? Of course it is. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. That's why we need Jesus. We're all sinners. Nobody lives up to what they know that they should. We need a Savior. And, and, and so my, my point is, if you're going to wait for the perfect church to start going, you'll never go to church. And that excuse won't stand up on Judgment Day. Pastor Brock, this is a new ministry now for you. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions I've had asked is, 
What are you doing now that you're not a senior minister? Yeah. Are you attending a church on a regular I, I, basis? I go to church and... Are you trying out different ones? Uh, yes, I've gone to a few different churches. Some have been great, some have been kind of different. But what we're doing now, Jackie, just to inform people here, is we are on the verge now of expanding this TV show to other cities. So I'd ask people to pray for us. And if, if the Lord moves you to support our ministry, it's a lot of money to go to other cities on television. So pray about our ministry, if you would. If, if the Lord leads you to support it, there'll be information at the end of the show where you can write. So. And Pastor Brock, another question that's come up is if you aren't a senior minister in that, are you still going out and preaching to yes. other groups and yes. things like it, that? It, mm. what, what we've tried to do is now we're going just to this radio and TV ministry. Uh, but if people need a speaker, at their church or whatever, I'm now available uh, to do that. And again, they would just call the number at the end or just write us and we'll, we'll see about working that out. Now you're talking about the radio ministry. Maybe we should yeah. give a little bit more information about that. Good. Our radio program is Pastor Study. Mm -hmm. It's on KKMS, mm -hmm. which is 980 AM mm -hmm. on your regular radio. Yep. And you're on on Saturdays from 11 to 1, right? Yes. Uh -huh. And Marcus Stahl is on that show with mm -hmm. you. Marcus is one of the elders at Hope Lutheran Church and started working with Tom on the TV on the radio ministry yep. Yep. a couple of years ago. And if, if indeed this show is shown in South Dakota, which we hope it will be, you can go to our website and listen to our radio shows. It's a two-hour call-in show where people call in with their Bible questions. But you would just go to pastorstudy.org, and you can tap on our, our, our uh, various shows, and you can listen to the show wherever you're at in the country, pastorstudy.org. But the most important thing is that you do find a church, yes. and you get into it because you need to assemble with the body That's of right. Christians. Hebrews right? 10, 25. Yep. So we want to thank you for being with us this week, and um, we hope that you've enjoyed this show. We hope that at the end here, when we run our new information, you'll take time to make note of that. Prayerfully consider supporting us, because we really do need your prayers. And if you are listening, want to listen to some of the radio shows, check out the website. You're going to see it here in just a few minutes coming up. And we just want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning into the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 763-260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.